Hello, and welcome to A Health Podacy. People are willing to work hard. They're willing to see a lot of patients. Um, they're willing to do QI initiatives, but that uh, having that locus of control at the practice level seems like it's an important protective factor. I'm your host, Alan Weil. Rates of burnout among primary care physicians is a growing concern. Major shifts in the practice environment, whether it's truncated office visits, growing documentation requirements, or practices consolidating or being acquired by larger health systems have changed the sense of efficacy and autonomy that's an important factor in work satisfaction. The COVID-19 pandemic has heightened these concerns as many physicians have been working extraordinarily long hours, experiencing supply shortages, and facing significant health risks themselves. Physician burnout and how to avoid it is the subject of today's health policy. I'm joined by Samuel T. Edwards, an assistant professor of medicine at Oregon Health and Science University and a staff physician in the Veterans Affairs Portland Health Care System. Dr. Edwards and co-authors published a paper in the June 2021 issue of Health Affairs investigating burnout in primary care practices. They describe the characteristics of practices where clinicians and clinical and non-clinical staff all report the absence of signs of burnout. They compare the characteristics of those practices where burnout rates are high. Their findings have important implications for the practice of medicine. Dr. Edwards, welcome to the program. Thanks, Alan, for having me. So let's just start about uh, what we know about the prevalence of physician burnout. Why is it such a problem? Well, uh, current estimates for physician burnout range from about 25 to 50%. Uh, it really depends a lot on what measure you use um, and on the specialty. So patient-facing physician specialties that do a lot of undifferentiated care tend to have the highest rates of burnout. And when you say undifferentiated, that uh, what does that mean? Oh, I mean like, say, emergency medicine, family medicine, internal medicine, where you're doing a lot of sort of diagnosis as opposed to uh, managing sort of known conditions. Those tend to be the areas where we see the most most burnout. Burnout is sort of inherently a negative psychological state, but it's associated with a lot of bad things. So workforce-wise, uh, burnout is associated with retiring early, cutting work hours. Uh, mental health-wise, it's associated with substance use and even with suicide. Um, and in terms of sort of healthcare delivery, it's associated with reduced quality of care and lower patient satisfaction. So um, a lot of concern about, about burnout among physicians. So it sounds like this is a major problem. You said at the outset that it depends a little bit how you measure it uh, to determine the incidence. And I'm thinking about, you know, burnout, it's sort of a colloquial term. Oh, I'm so burned out. But there are actually validated measures in this area. So talk to us a little bit about how do we know whether or not someone is burned out? Yeah, it's a great point. No, burnout's sort of an evocative self-defining term. You hear a lot in the po popular press. Um, you know, sort of broadly, it's a, it's a negative psychological state associated with work. Um, but in the, in the literature, it's really defined as a syndrome defined by emotional exhaustion, depersonalization, and a feeling of ineffectiveness or low personal accomplishment. And these typically occur in a sequence so that you become emotionally exhausted at your work. Then you become depersonalized, sort of start treating your coworkers and, and potentially patients more like, you know, like objects. And then finally, a feeling of ineffectiveness, like nothing you do at work 
matters. So Christina Maslach was really credited with codifying those domains um, in her Maslach burnout inventory, which has sort of become the most commonly used measure. And once she came out with that in the early 80s, I mean, burnout was um, sort of demonstrated in, in, in many, many professions. They sort of started with caring professions, so teachers, social workers, uh, physicians, nurses, um, but has been shown in, in many, many places. The measure we use is a single item question that asks, um, based on your definition of burnout, how would you rate your level of burnout? It has a five-level response. Um, and we dichotomize that at a level of three or above uh, defining burnout as has been done in other studies. Um, so this invalidation work has been shown to correlate with really the, the emotional exhaustion component of burnout, not the whole three domain construct. Uh, that's really helpful. And um, it, you know, all those terms you use are probably familiar to anyone in a workplace of, of seeing themselves or colleagues go through those kinds of phases. And I know there's a lot of discussion in the physician community about burnout. So I suppose if you just ask people if they're feeling it, they have a pretty good reference point. What I thought was interesting is uh, one of the things I thought interesting in your study is you talked about shifting the discussion from individual clinician characteristics or behavior to structural characteristics. What you just described sounds like a very personal thing. I feel burned out. Uh, talk to me about what you mean when you say you want to shift the discussion to structural characteristics. Yeah, well, I think, you know, and if you go back in the burnout literature, you know, it's been understood that work environments really drive burnout for a long time. But if you look in the sort of current environment around what kind of interventions are out there to alleviate burnout, they really mostly focus on individuals. So think of examples like wellness initiatives or sort of individual coaching that really try to um, help individuals gain resilience to sort of cope with their challenging work environment as opposed to changing the work environment. So we, you know, we could try to make the case that this sort of focus on individuals sort of tacitly shifts the blame of burnout from systems to individuals. Like if you had more resilience, you could handle this. And, and certainly as a physician, this, this culture is very prevalent in physician training. So, you know, shifting towards structural characteristics really gets it more at the root and recognizing this is a, a, an environmental um, issue. And in our study, uh, I think a unique feature, too, is that we, we looked at all the members of the practice, not just the physicians. So we really show that burnout is sort of like a practice-wide phenomenon independent of role. Yeah, that seems so important. And again, when you use those terms, those are, those are shifts that are going on in all kinds of discussions these days where we're trying to look at systems as opposed to blaming individuals. And, and I also note your use of the word implicit. We, you know, it wasn't always necessarily, maybe in training it is, but in, in broader discussions, it wasn't always, well, it's your fault, clinician. But if, if the only remedies you offer are counseling, it kind of suggests that it is your fault. Um, so when you compare these uh, zero burnout practices to high burnout practices, first of all, Talk about what that difference means to you. Uh, you mentioned all the members of the practice. Um, and then let's start going through some of the findings because you do see some real differences between them. So, so what do you see? What does it mean to be in a zero burnout versus a high burnout practice? And, and what are some of the differences in characteristics? Yeah, well, when we, we first started doing these analyses at, the, at sort of looking at the practice level, um, you know, we kind of looked at distribution of burnout within practices. And something that really stood out to us is about 20% of our sample 
no one in the practice reported burnout. And so we restricted our sample in various ways to make sure we were getting like a representative look, like we had enough respondents, we had a high enough response rate, but it, it held up. And we thought, you know, given the, the stories of burnout in healthcare being so, um, so prevalent, you know, what, it, what's going on with this, like 20% of practices in our sample have no burnout. So we really chose to focus on them and then compare them to the sort of highest burned out practices to sort of, you know, accentuate the differences to try to learn learn what was what was most important there. So in terms of in terms of structure, I mean, we saw most commonly they were solo practices and they were most commonly clinician owned. They used more quality improvement strategies. So these are just sort of different QI methods. Um, and they less commonly reported participating in accountable care organizations or other sort of large scale transformation initiatives. So I'm going to want to walk through some of those individually, but it's probably a good point to pause and talk about the universe you are studying. Because when you say solo, that's uh, a subset of the practices you studied, which tend much more to the smaller side. So so why don't you say a little bit more about which practices you were looking? Yeah, no, thanks. That's a, a great point. Yeah. So we were studying um, the practices who participated in Evidence Now. So Evidence Now was a large um, quality improvement uh, initiative funded by uh, the Agency for Healthcare Research and Quality, focused on promoting improved evidence-based care of preventive care for cardiovascular disease in smaller primary care practices. So large initiative, 12 states, um, seven different regions. So um, we refer to them as cooperatives, where they all design their own intervention, uh, mostly around external practice facilitation to assist practices in sort of doing a better job with cardiovascular preventive care. So specifically aspirin use, blood pressure control, cholesterol management, and smoking cessation counseling. The group one is, is more commonly small practices were in our sample. And then two, they were practices that were, you know, willing to participate in a big QI initiative like that. So that, you know, it may be different than than some other practices. They, they may be, but they're spread around, as you noted, geographically. So I think it's fair to say these are smaller practices motivated to participate in quality improvement. But other than that, you have a pretty good range uh, here that I certainly, when you compare the zero burnout to higher burnout, you, you, I think it's fair to say these results are meaningful. We probably wouldn't have published a study if we didn't think the results differences. When we yeah. Well, you know, it's a big sample and it's, a, it's in 12 states and yeah, I think it's, it captures, and it captures a lot of practices that don't necessarily appear in a large, large studies of primary care too. Uh, so I want to go a little deeper with you in some of those elements of the differences uh, between low burnout and high burnout, but uh, we'll do that after we take a short break. The Rural Health Research Gateway is your preeminent resource for free, timely, and relevant rural health research funded by the Federal Office of Rural Health Policy. Visit Gateway at ruralhealthresearch.org and subscribe to Gateway's research alerts to be notified whenever new rural health research is published. Follow Gateway on Twitter and Facebook at RHR Gateway for key research findings. This message was paid for by the Rural Health Research Gateway at the University of North Dakota School of Medicine and Health Sciences. And we're back. I'm speaking with Dr. Samuel Edwards about physician burnout and the difference in characteristics between practices where there are no signs of burnout and those where there's high levels of burnout. Before the break, you were telling me uh, you're introducing the topic of the 
major features that differentiate between these two different types of practices. Maybe we could start with with leadership and maybe some of the cultural elements. That, since you framed this as a structural issue, uh, what are some of the structural components around those topics that stand out to you as differentiating zero burnout and high burnout practices? Well, I mean, thinking about the leadership and cultural elements, um, you know, the main measure we used in our study was, is called adaptive reserve, which is a measure of practice culture. So it consists of six domains, uh, facilitative leadership, work environment, teamwork, sense-making, culture of learning, and relationship infrastructure. So probably one of the things that struck us the most in analyzing these results is just how strongly related these measures are to burnout. Um, and they all are, like all the domains. So they're, they're very interrelated. And it's very clear that um, you know, low or zero burnout practices have extremely strong practice culture. Among those, though, the one that is, is the highest is facilitative leadership. So the definition of facilitative leadership that is sort of approximated in this construct is you know, a little different than sort of a traditional leadership model of a more hierarchical command and control kind of system as opposed to ones that really prioritizes fostering relationships, you know, really enhanced communication, attending to social influence and power imbalances in the practice, um, focusing on psychological safety and cultivating teamwork. You know, it just seems like zero burnout practices are very strong culture um, and are, you know, and those domains are really interrelated. Yeah, it's so interesting in in so much of the qualitative work in uh, whether it's quality improvement or uh, fidelity to implementation of innovative models or just about anything, you know, leadership stands out. But here you've you've characterized what the leadership style is that's effective. And I want to reiterate something you said earlier, which is you're reporting not just clinician burnout. So you can really see the role of teams uh, in, in, in attentiveness to what it takes to be a functioning team in that measure. I thought that was really interesting. Um, I want to go to some of the other findings. And I always worry when you don't find a correlation that it could just be a statistical power problem. But there are a few areas where there wasn't correlation that I thought were interesting. For example, patient caseload, which you think of as you know people being so busy, they just can't uh, feel good about their work. You didn't find a correlation there, is that right? That's right. Yeah, no, it, it's an interesting point because certainly, as a you know, someone who practices primary care and this sort of vision of being on the treadmill and seeing tons of patients, and it's so exhausting, and the EHR work, and you know, it certainly resonates as a cause of burnout. But um, we didn't see it here, and I, 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 I'm not sure there could be a measurement issue, but I think that that we did see some possible explanations. In that, you know, sometimes in, in anecdotally, based on some of the of the, the qualitative data, you see practices that are small, that work very hard. They see a lot of patients, but it's their practice, and they're in control, and they decide how everything works, and they kind of like it that way. Well, then you see larger system practices where no one really wants to be there. There's tons of turnover, and they only, you know, they see fewer patients per day. So. It, they, those are anecdotal. That may not explain the effect completely, but we did see places where there was high volume and no burnout and places where there was low volume and high burnout. So it's not as simple as an explanation as, as it might uh, immediately appear. Yeah. And at the beginning of your answer, you mentioned EHR as the electronic health record. And certainly we've published 
papers and again anecdotally you just hear the tremendous levels of frustration associated with uh, implementing those systems here again you didn't see correlation any thoughts on that yeah I think I mean I think there's a couple of things that I mean one is kind of the questions we asked so we asked about whether people were satisfied with their EHR or not and it just wasn't a very strong correlation with burnout I think that in our sample, you know, everyone already had an EHR to join Evidence Now, and I think we might sort of be almost like at a second stage where people have kind of gotten used to their EHRs and their frustrations with them are known. It, it didn't it really come across in our in our data, but I, I don't think that undermines any of the work that shows the frustrations with EHR. I mean, that again, as a clinician, really resonates that all the clicking and busy work um, that takes you out of the patient encounter, that takes you away from the sort of meaningful relationships that is primary care um, is really hard. And so I think it's, we just didn't, you know, our, our questions didn't quite get at that here. Um, and then there's this finding that I do want to spend a moment on because it's, it's a little confusing to me from the outside. You've got this positive correlation with quality initiatives. And of course, these are practices participating in evidence now. But Negative correlation with external, and you you mentioned earlier ACOs. That wasn't the only one. Um, help me differentiate this, and I I, th I just thought this was so interesting. What did you find here? Well, so yeah, the 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 positive correlations is we had an index of um, quality improvement strategies that um, we kind of asked at the practice level. Well, you know, did you provide information and skills trainees for your employees? Did you um, use opinion leaders or role modeling or other other ways to support changes? So just sort of like a an inventory of different sort of QI strategies. And we found that zero burnout practices used more of those sort of typical QI strategies. But we did not see a correlation between participation in other sort of large transformation initiatives and burnout. So as you correctly point out, everyone in this sample is participating in evidence now, which is an external large transformation initiative. But yeah, our ACO participation was associated with more burnout. And then any of the, we had sort of a bundle of other external um, transformation initiatives. So the, some of the state um, innovation models, uh, TCPI, a couple others. So, you know, this is all, we're just hypothesizing here about what this might mean, but we kind of wonder if maybe participating in too many initiatives is associated with burnout, that it's just kind of overwhelming with practices to try to negotiate all those different stakeholders. Yeah, it'd be really interesting to get further into this because, um, you know, you want to be careful you don't interpret beyond the data. But I did get this sense reading the paper that, you know, a quality initiative, as you say, you're voluntarily participating in evidence now, and it really is focused on clinical quality, which is a motivating thing to do. Some of these other uh, initiatives, they're highly variable, so that's why I don't want to overgeneralize, but whether it's ACO participation or, or the state innovations or primary care initiative uh, through CMMI, uh, the Center for Medicare Medicaid Innovation, you, you could imagine feeling imposed upon, like someone is telling me to change how I practice, or my financial model has been turned upside down because the system around me is going through some changes. And that could feel very uh, different from participating in something oriented to, to your patient. Again, you don't really have the 
data here to answer those questions, but there's sure some interesting hypotheses that that it would be uh, nice to tease out. Yeah, well, I think that I mean you get the combining the sort of solo practice, um, clinician ownership, and then sort of not participating in external initiatives kind of gives you this feel that agency at the practice level is really important in avoiding burnout, and that people are willing to work hard. They're willing to see a lot of patients. Um, they're willing to do QI initiatives, but that, that having that locus of control at the practice level seems like it's an important protective factor. But again, you're right. This is a cross-sectional survey study, so we're just kind of getting hints of this stuff. Yeah, so I'd love to hear sort of how you got interested in this topic and how you've, in a few instances, uh, mentioned anecdotes. Uh, just curious how your own practice fits into your thinking about the research and where you might want to go next with this kind of analysis. Yeah, well, I mean, just as a as a practicing clinician, I mean, it just definitely resonates. Um, I mean, primary care is something I am very passionate about and believe in as sort of like a core function of of health systems, and just seeing how hard of a job it is, and um, thinking of ways to help help people um, thrive in it is something I've, I'm passionate about. And then also just watching, you know, I'm moving through my training, watching through different colleagues um, suffer this burnout syndrome, like exactly as it's described in the literature and watching them struggle with it and saying, wow, this is really, this is a real thing. Like, how can we, you know, how can we expect our healthcare system to thrive and support our population if, if we're burning out our own people? Through evidence now, it's been just a remarkable opportunity to understand the issue at scale, to see that some of the things that I've observed among, among colleagues and friends um, are true at a larger scale, but then also some surprises that, you know, like the thing about uh, volume of patients not being related, that was sort of forced us to think harder about what the causes are. You know, moving forward with work around burnout, you know, I think that the the real question is what kind of interventions can we do? And we know that individual level things, they're not bad, they're they're helpful and are probably needed. But what can we do in work environments that are under constraints? We can't just change everything. But what can we do to help make those environments more supportive, kind of providing that agency at different levels? You know, I think about in health systems or in the federal government where I practice, you know, bringing that agency to smaller work units to give us more control over what we do on a day-to-day basis. So we feel like we're able to help the patients in the way that we understand best, that we're not being kind of told what to do. But, you know, balancing that with with the, the needs of the system to provide good care for everyone. Yeah, you really anticipated my last question because I was going to say you're not in you're not in a small practice now. And uh, the question is how do you take uh, what you learn here and apply it, you mentioned sort of smaller system or smaller subgroups with with a sense of empowerment and autonomy, even as part of a larger organization. I wonder if any of the leadership and uh, cultural elements from your study also seem, um, if you've seen examples where you think, wow, that's, that's a leader who uh, really gets what it takes to avoid burnout or or maybe not. I don't know. Is that something that you've come across? Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, I think I think that trying to make um, you know big work environments feel small, <laughs> if that makes sense. I mean, it's sort of like our like I think about it. We have teams in our VA primary care. We have they're called packed teams, but we do a lot of work on our team to really build strong relationship infrastructure and trust among our team members. 
And it's really helps us all get through up can it can be pretty challenging work so it's just there's just five or six of us but it's uh you know i think for all of us it's really rewarding and and seeing that, that those sort of adaptive reserve domains they can be implemented by all the team members you don't need a leader to kind of model it um, we can all kind of help each other but certainly i've observed um, really strong facilitative leaders who really they see their role as supporting the employees meeting the mission you know that it's not about bringing a, a rule down but it's um really unlocking the wisdom that the you know that the primary care doctors and teams have to help care for patients well i really appreciate the work you've done and having a chance to talk to you about it i do think the more we understand about uh, the characteristics and s- structural matters that uh, can reduce burnout, the better. Uh, This is part of, as you noted at the outset, a a conversation that can move these issues from being perceived as about potential weaknesses of an individual to challenges associated with a system that can then lead us to systematic solutions. So uh, Dr. Edwards, thanks so much for spending some time with me on A Health Policy. Thank you, Alan. Really appreciate uh, the opportunity to share our work. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode, I hope you'll tell a friend about a health policy. Health Policy is produced by Health Affairs, the leading journal for health policy research. The team behind the show includes Patty Sweet, Jeff Byers, Julia Vivolo, Sarah Kolk, and Sue Ducat. Like the show? Subscribe to A Health Policy on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Thanks for listening and have a great morning, day, or evening.